We're just continuing on in our summer series here in Hebrews 11, stepping deeper into faith, uh, looking at each one of these examples of faith here in this chapter, and what can we learn from them, from their story, from their lives, about how to follow God in greater ways of faith. And uh, today we're going to verses 11 and 12, which means we're dealing with Sarah. Uh, this is Abraham's wife, um, and, um, and we're gonna, that means we're going to spend a lot of time again in Genesis. Um, and Sarah's story, she just kind of has little small snippets here and there. So we're going to have to scan through several chapters today, okay? So get ready to do some flipping there in the book of Genesis between chapters 12 and 21. Uh, to kind of pick up different pieces of Sarah's story this morning, and uh, we'll see what we can learn from her uh, about God being our promise keeper. As I was thinking about promises this morning, I, I, I'm, I realized the longer that I'm a parent, um, the more I have learned how hard it is to actually keep promises. Um, and I'm not talking about just like the long, like the big long-term promises, like, you know, marriage vows and business contracts, like, oh, that's great. I'm talking about like, even like the small, just kind of day-to-day, moment-to-moment promises that we are statements that we make to our kids, right? Like, like you can't play the iPad right now, we're doing something else, but may, later tonight you can play on the iPad, but not right now. And then brother breaks his foot and you end up in the ER and there's no iPad with you and they're like, you promised we could play on the iPad tonight. I did. Sorry. Didn't know brother was going to play Superman from the top of the stairs, like that just... It wasn't in my plan for this day, and so I, I, but it just shows like how much we really have no control over circumstances and situations and things that come our way that oftentimes cause us to have to break our word or to break a promise that we didn't intend to break. Like we had every intention of fulfilling that, but something came and something happened that we couldn't control and stopped us from keeping our promise. What's remarkable about that to me? is that God has never had that problem. God is so powerful, and he's so sovereign, and he's so in control of all things that there's never been one thing that's impeded him from keeping his promise to his people. And because of that reality, it brings us to this realization that he is the ultimate promise keeper, and that is the foundation for our faith. So what we're going to learn from Sarah today is this, that deeper faith comes when I believe God's promises depend on God's power. Deeper faith comes when I finally learn, when I finally believe, when I finally walk in the reality that God's promises depend solely and only on God's power to fulfill them. And the great hope that we have in that. So let's look at verse 11 in chapter 11 of Hebrews, and we'll start here with Sarah. It says, By by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So point number one, the first thing we're going to see from Sarah, the first Um, example of her faith is actually going to be immature faith. And it's immature faith because it says something like this, God keeps his promises only if I do my part. And immature faith says God keeps his promises, I believe that, but only if I do my part, only if I chip in what I have to do to help get it across the finish line. Now, 
In verse 11 here, it starts off like this. It says, Sarah herself. And despite that statement, there is some debate between theologians and Bible scholars about who are these verses really focused on. Are they really focused on Sarah? Are they really focused on her husband, Abraham? Because all the verses before that are about Abraham. All the verses after this are about Abraham. And even in verse 12, it references that one man was the one who the descendants came from. So is it really about Sarah or is it really about Abraham? Well, here's the reason I think this is focused on Sarah this morning. It says, Sarah herself, but then it goes on to say, received the power to conceive. That power is the focus of the promise this morning. And if you go back to the story, Sarah was the one who needed the power to conceive, not Abraham. Abraham had no problem conceiving, okay? He conceived with Hagar. Later on, he's going to conceive with his a second wife, Keturah, after Sarah dies. He didn't have a problem with that. He didn't need God's power for that. Sarah did. So we learned from the very beginning in, verse, in chapter 11 that she was the one who was barren from a young age. So this is very much focused on her. But I think the reason some people struggle with that is because when we start to look at Sarah's life, when we start to look at Sarah's story, her example is kind of a puzzling example of faith, as you're going to see in a moment, right? Like, her faith journey is not super clean. And it, it can be understanding, like, okay, is she really an example of faith in this way? But I think you're going to see that she is as her story grows through Genesis here this morning. So we're going to look at this progression of God's promise, of the promised son, Isaac, and how Sarah's faith progressed along with the promise as she followed with the Lord. So go back to Genesis now, chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. We looked at this a couple weeks ago when we started with Abraham. This is the first place that God shows up and gives a promise to Abraham for the first time about what's going to come. And in chapter, or I'm sorry, in verse 2, it says this. It says, I will make of you a great nation. And we talked about how that infers that in order to first have a nation, you have to have people, and those people were going to come from Abraham. They're going to be his descendants and come from his children, right? But here's the issue. God makes this promise to him in chapter 12, and then 10 years go by, and Abraham and Sarah don't see any progress on this promise. She's not getting pregnant. They're not having kids. Nothing's moving. Nothing's happening. 10 years some of us are waiting on God for a promise that we wanted two months ago or two years ago. Ten years, they're waiting. And then we get to chapter 15. Go to flip, now I'm talking, we're going to flip a lot today. Go to flip chapter 15 in Genesis. And God shows up a second time. It's the second time God's talked to Abraham. Sometimes I think we, sometimes we get that messed up in the Bible too. We think because like all the times God talks to people in the Old Testament are like back to back, that it happened like every day. <laughs> no, no. It was a rare occasion, right? Like there was 10 years between when Abraham heard God's voice the first time and when he hears it the second time. And he shows up in chapter 15 and he says, hey, I'm encouraging you, Abraham. I'm still with you. I'm still here. And this is Abraham's response. Look at verse 2. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Eliezer was one of his servants. So he's basically saying like, I know you said I'm going to have descendants. We're going to have this whole nation. That's awesome. I, I still believe that. But the kids aren't coming. So how about I just grab my servant and I make him my heir. I kind of make him kind of my adopted son, if you will. And I'll give everything to him. And then he can be the one that you make into this great nation. This was Abraham's solution to God's promise that didn't seem to be happening. Are you with me? Verse 4, look at God's response. It says, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and this man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. Because like, no, no, no. I got this. 
We're gonna, you're going to have a son. It's going to be okay. It's coming. Just wait. And in verse 6, it says, And Abraham believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Famous verse for Abraham, right? So, God, so Abraham's like, all right, I'm all in, God. I believe you. I got the faith. Like, you're going to bring me a son. That's great. Evidently, Sarah was not on the same page yet, okay? Like, she didn't fully believe, she didn't fully have the faith that Abraham did here that God was going to work this out and bring a son. And that brings us to chapter 16. All right, look at chapter 16, verses 1 through 6. Sarah now comes up with, comes up with her own solution to fix the problem of the promise, in verse 2, it says, Sarah said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. She's like, I'm still not having kids. So go into my servant, who's Hagar, we're going to find out later, and it may be that I shall obtain children by her. Now, for us in America in 2022, this is super weird. All right, can we just agree like this is super weird? Hey, just take her. But this was their form of surrogacy. They didn't have modern medicine like we have today where they could implant things and do medical procedures. and like, They didn't have any of that. And so if you were, gonna have, if you were barren and there was any chance of your, you having children, the way you did surrogacy was you had someone else in your family or someone else in your household, your servant group, that would bear a child for you. Okay? And so this was very normal. This was the custom of the day for them to do that type of um, surrogacy. So Sarah here, in other words, is thinking, you know what? If God's going to fulfill this promise, if he's going to bring it about by a biological son to Abraham, then evidently we're going to have to do our part. Because it's not happening here. It's not working for me. So let's figure out a solution. Okay, hey, Hagar, here you go. We'll do it this way. This will work. This will get the son that we need. Sarah thinks she's got a, a fix for the problem, but they just have to do their part to chip in. And it reminds me of a common saying today, I think, in our culture. Maybe you heard, I know you've heard it. You can probably, uh, let's just do this. God helps those who, see? Like, it's classic, and it sounds good on the surface. And I've heard so many people quote that, even Christians, as if it's maybe even like a, like a verse in the Bible. It's not. In fact, that goes against the entire teaching of the Bible. God does not help those who help themselves. He helps those who can't help themselves. That's the God that we serve. And Paul, in 2 Corinthians 12, he wrote God, that God's grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Not my power is made perfect in your power, or in your effort, or in what you bring to the table. My power is made perfect in your weakness. You see, God doesn't need or want our solutions to his promises. What he wants is our surrender. So that he can come and do what he wants to do. Which brings us to the first principle of faith here. Faith never depends on my solutions. I think sometimes we get that, we get that mixed up. Like we have, we have faith that God's going to do something in our lives, but we feel like we're the ones who have to come up with a way to make it happen. But the story goes on here. We're not done, unfortunately. So he, she says, why don't you go with Hagar? And in verse 2, it says, Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Interestingly enough, the word listened there in the Hebrew could also be translated as he obeyed the voice of Sarai. In other words, he listened or he obeyed, he trusted his wife and her solution more than he obeyed and trusted God and his solution. 
And interestingly enough, it worked. Kind of. <laughs> like Hagar did conceive, right? She did have a son. Abraham had a biological son now. And, and Abraham and Sarah, they think at this point that they are removing an obstacle to God's promise. Right? Sarah was barren. Got to remove that obstacle. Here's Hagar. Here's Ishmael. We got a solution. They think they're helping. When in reality, they're actually put, creating a new obstacle between Abraham and the promise of God. And then we get down to verse 5. It says, And Sarah, I said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. <laughs> so now Sarah's all upset because Hagar's strutting around the house like, look at what I did. You can't do this, right? Like, and she's mad at Abraham, and she's like, you empowered her. You did this. It's all your fault. And Abraham's like, are you kidding me? It was your idea. Like, you came up with this plan. So Sarah's blaming Abraham. Abraham's blaming Sarah. And God's looking down, and he's saying, no, no, you both messed up. Because this was not my way. I think this is a big question sometimes for people with the Bible and the Old Testament. Is like, what about all the multiple wives and the concubines? And like, what, what's up with all that? Let's just be clear. God never condoned that. He never approved that. That was never his plan. God's plan was always one man, one woman, marriage. That's how it works. That's why every time they do it, it goes really bad. Right, like, just read the stories. Like, everybody who does the multiple wives thing, or, like, it doesn't end up good. But they thought they were helping. They thought they were doing this. And I think they had this mindset, again, that we oftentimes have in our culture sometimes, which is that the ends justify the means. Right? Like, the goal is just to get to the promise. If we can just get to, like, we want to experience all that God has for us. And so whatever we have to do to get there, that's just part of the process, and that's okay. That's not the way God thinks about it. And so oftentimes as a pastor, I even hear Christians walking through this in their own lives, wrestling with this same idea. Believers, they try to justify their own sinful choices, their own sinful actions, because they believe that that's the only way they're going to reach God's will for their life or God's promise that they're holding on to. God told me to marry this person. I know he told me to marry this person, but... They're, they're, they're not going to stick around if I don't sleep with them now. But then that's not God's person. Not for you. God wants me to be happy, right? Like he wants us all to be happy and encouraged, and, and I cannot be happy with this spouse. They've just done too much. It's too far gone. My only option is divorce. That's how I have to get through this, and then I'll be happy, and then I'll be good with God on the other side. I don't see it. I don't see how God does that. God's will is for me to grow my ministry, right? Like, I, he's given me these gifts. I need to serve. I need to do something. And if that means I have to make some sacrifices, if that means my, means my family has to be neglected sometimes, that's okay because it's all for God. It's all for his ministry. No. They're your first ministry. <laughs> we don't get to just pick and choose how we want to apply God's word to get to the promises that we want to get to. God's called me to provide for my family as the man. I have to make a living. I have to do this stuff. But in my business, if you're going to really make some money, you have to cut some corners. 
You have to pull some wool. You have to do, like, you have to, no. God's not going to bless you if you're not doing it with honor and character. Here's the reality, friends. God cares just as much about how his promises are fulfilled as that they are fulfilled. It's not just the end. It's not just the, the finished product. It's how we get there. It's how we follow God. It's how he works in us and through us to fulfill those promises by his power, not by our sinful choices. We have to believe that he is powerful enough to fulfill them without our sinful solutions. Which brings us to the second principle. Faith never requires what God forbids. If you say you're walking in faith, if you say you're following God, it's never going to require you to do something that God forbids in his word. That's just not his path. That's not the way he works. Story continues. Verse 6. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. So Abraham's like, all right, fine. This was all your idea. So it's your problem. Your servant, you deal with it. Whatever you, whatever you want to do, you just deal with it. I'm out. And he just washes his hands of the whole thing. And so Sarah then goes, and she compounds her first sin with more sin. <laughs> right? Like, now she tries to fix. She's still in this, like, I can fix it. I can come up with a solution. I can do it. And now she starts treating Hagar so badly that she runs away from the family. But here's the beautiful thing that we're going to see as we get deeper into the story. That despite Sarah's choices, despite her solutions, despite the sin that she's trying to cover up at this point, yet God is patient with her. And he's merciful with her. And he continues to call her to faith. He doesn't leave her there. He doesn't abandon her. He doesn't give up on the promise. He keeps calling her to faith in him. As we learned a couple weeks ago, thankfully, faith is a gift. Right? Faith is a gift that, he give, that God gives to us in him. And therefore, it never depends on my solutions or my sin. Faith is never derailed by my failures. Even when I mess it up, even when I do make the wrong choices and I try to do it on my own, that doesn't derail God's plan. It doesn't derail his promises. Faith still continues on. Now, it may be weakened for a season. If you're walking in sin, your faith may be weak. It, it may even falter at times. But if you truly are a follower of God, it will never be lost completely. God's power will carry you through. He always brings his children back. One of the activities that our family tends to enjoy, or we like to do every once in a while, is to go bowling. It's just one of those kind of like really easy access, cheap, fun, like it's just everybody can do it. It's just we all in kind of thing, a couple hours. And as we've done this over the years, I found that our girls, no matter, you know, how skilled they are, how strong they are, like they, any one of them can pick up a ball and roll it down the lane and at least hit a few pins, right? Like they might even get in a strike. They might not be like killing it, but they can at least roll it down there and hit a few pins. 
But I don't believe, I have come to learn, I don't believe that, that they can actually be competitive with everyone else or actually get a, a good, decent score without a little help. And so we oftentimes let them play with the bumpers. You know what I'm talking about, right? The bumpers, right? Like the kids, mom and dad, dad don't get to use them, unfortunately. Although we could probably benefit sometimes. But, but the girls get to use the bumpers when we go bowling so that it kind of evens it out a little bit, makes it a little bit more fair, right? Because I believe that they need that help in order to reach that goal. A lot of times we think about faith like that. That God's made the promise, God's going to do it, it's God's will, God's working, but he needs a little help. Our faith needs some bumpers, right? So we're going to add in our stuff, we're going to add in our solutions, our effort, our work, to kind of just make sure, just give a little extra help to God to make sure the ball gets all the way to the end. And God's saying, I don't need your bumpers. I don't need your help. I need your surrender. I need you to let me do what I do. Let my power be enough to get you where I'm taking you. This is what immature faith looks like, thinking that I have to add my bumpers to God's promises. You see, God, in the Bible, we see that God is the promise keeper. He's not the promise facilitator. You know the difference? Like, he's not just overseeing the promise, but he's relying on us to actually get it done. He's not just managing the work. He's the promise keeper, which means he makes the promise, and he fulfills the promise, and we just sit back and enjoy. God's promises depend on God's power. That's the first thing we learn from Sarah's journey here of faith. God's promises depend on God's power, not ours. Not ours. Next, we're going to see her move from immature faith to impersonal faith. Impersonal faith says this, God keeps his promises, only I'm not a part. I believe he keeps his promises, but, but I'm, not really, I'm not included in that. I'm, I'm not a part of what he's doing. Let's look here. Back in Hebrews 11, verse 11 again, it says that, um, that Sarah conceived through the power of the God even when she was past the age. So let's decode that verse for a second, that little phrase. So again, we learned way back in Genesis chapter 11 that Sarah was barren from a young age, right? So in, in this time, in this culture, it was believed that God was the one who opened and closed the womb. And so if you were barren, that was God's choice for you. And for some reason, you were forsaken by God or you were cursed or whatever, and you couldn't have children. So Sarah's never been able to do that. But now, even more so, she's past the age. She's in menopause, okay? She's past childbearing years. It's not even on the table anymore medically. Like, it's just not going to happen. She's missed that window. And that takes us then to Genesis chapter 17. So hopefully you still have a finger over there in Genesis 16. Go to Genesis 17, next chapter. God's going to show up again a third time now. And it starts off here, verse 1 says, Abraham was 99 years old. So let's just do a little math here for a second on the timeline. When God first came to Abraham, very first promise, he was 75. So we're now 24 years, right? 24 years in after God's first promise that Abraham's going to have a kid, descendants. Long enough for the kid to have been born and grown up and now be on their own. (laughs) We're 13 years past the last time God showed up with the whole Hagar thing, and so that means Ishmael, Abraham's son by Hagar, is now 13 years old 
at this point in the story. Okay? And it says, The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. This is the first time in all the Bible that God has used that name for himself. And he's taking this moment to assure Abraham that he is the God of power. That his power is sufficient for everything that he has promised. And then he says in verse 2, I will multiply you greatly. So this is the third time he's made that promise. I'm going to multiply you. You're going to have kids. You're going to have a nation. The whole thing. So first he said, I'm sorry, and then in verse 15, scroll down to verse 15, he's going to explain now to Abraham how this promise is going to be fulfilled. And he says, as for Sarah, your wife, I will give you a son by her. In other words, it's going to be fulfilled by your own son, by your own wife. The way it was always supposed to be. Right? So think, about, think back through the history here. When God first promised Abraham, he just said, you're going to have descendants, big nation. Right? Didn't know how, didn't know why, but that was going to happen. Promise number two, no, you're going to have a big nation by your own son. Now promise number three, you're going to have a big nation by your own son, by your own wife. So we're getting more and more specific here. And then look at Abraham's response in verse 17. It's first thing, first thing he did, first thing he did, fell on his face. He worshiped. He gave honor and respect to God. But then right in the middle of him falling on his face to worship, it says that he laughed. And it says he laughed because he's like, God, we're too old. Like, I'm old, she's old, like this. And, and when you study this, it doesn't say specifically the heart behind his laughter, but it seems from the context, we would call this incredulous laughter. Meaning it's almost like he's in shock. He's like, what? Like, this is, like, I can't even believe what you're saying to me right now. Like, you, like, we've been waiting so long, and it hasn't happened, and I'm old, and she's old, and how is this even possible? And then he goes on to verse 18, and he says, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. It's like, God, God I, I heard you, but maybe I heard you wrong. <laughs> maybe, or maybe you're just mixed up. Like, surely you're talking about Ishmael. Right? Like, I already have a son. He's ready to go. He's 13. Fulfill the promise through him. You see, for the past 13 years, Abraham has assumed that the son of promise was Ishmael. Because God never told him otherwise. He had a biological son. God never said this wasn't the one. So he's been functioning for 13 years as if Ishmael is the son, which means for 13 years he has loved him. He has invested in him. He has probably had conversations with him and dreamed with him about what he was going to be one day in this great nation and told him about the promise. And he is fully vested. And he says, why not Ishmael? Just do it with him. We've already got him. He's got to be the one, right, God? Verse 19, God said, no. No, it's not Ishmael. It's going to be Isaac is going to be the son of promise. This had to be a, a very bittersweet moment for Abraham. He has his first son that he loves, that he's invested in, that he had hope for that's now crushed. 
But at the same time, he's got this promise. He's going to have another son. I'm going to have two sons. And he's going to be the son of promise. And it's going to be this great, beautiful thing. I have to believe, just, I just have to believe that he was so conflicted in that moment. And yet, Abraham's faith never wavers. Because right after that, he immediately goes and believes God's word, and he fulfills and obeys God and does exactly what God told him to do with his family to get ready for this promise son that is coming. Now go to Genesis 18, next chapter. God's going to show up again. This time the Lord appears in the form of three strangers. Three men show up at Abraham's tent, and Abraham sees them, and he knows, hey, I think this might be the Lord. And so he pulls them in, and he, he entertains them, and he serves them, he gives them a meal, this whole thing. And they're sitting down, and they're talking, and in verse 9, the men ask Abraham, like, hey, where's Sarah? Where's your wife? Right? Which is kind of a strange question, because if they are indeed strangers that are just human strangers just passing by, they wouldn't know her. They wouldn't know her name. Like, that would be very rude to just kind of, like, assume that. And if they are divine strangers, visitors, then they don't really need to ask that question. <laughs> like, they know where she is. And so they're not, he's not asking this question for information's sake. They're using this question to direct our focus and Abraham's focus to Sarah. What they're about to say next is for her. And they say to him, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. So they repeat the promise that he'd already got from God before in, verse, in chapter 17. And they're not saying it again for his sake. They're saying it for Sarah's sake. Because right now the verse tells us that she is listening at the tent door. And this is so impactful because as far as I can tell from Scripture, this is the first time that Sarah has ever heard God's voice for herself the first time that she's ever heard the promise from God's lips. Every time before he's talked to Abraham, and then Abraham's told her after the fact what's going on, it's always come through him. She's always, up to this point, she's always been on the outside. She's never been included. But now she hears it for herself. And the chapter goes on to confirm that they are both old, past the age of childbearing years, just like Hebrews said. And because of that, just like Abraham, Sarah laughed when she heard it. She said, I'm worn out, God. Like, that, that's her language. Like, I, I, this isn't going to happen. But here's the difference. Unlike Abraham's laughter, hers has no worship with it. And hers has no obedience with it. She's laughing because she truly doubts God's promise in this moment. She didn't believe that God's promise was actually for her. She had seen God keep his promises before. She had seen him keep his promises to Abraham and to Hagar and to Ishmael, as far as she knew, but not to her. She had not been included she was on the outside. She had faith in God, but it was impersonal faith. It lacked relationship. It was distant. It was disconnected. Yes, there is a God. Yes, he does great things. But, but I'm not really a part of that. And then God confronts her laughter in verse 13. He says, why did Sarah laugh? 
Is anything too hard for the Lord? And the word there in Hebrew for hard doesn't mean like human hard. It means like supernaturally hard. Like is there anything too difficult in all of the universe for the supernatural divine strength and power of the almighty God? That's what he's asking. You see, at this point in her faith journey, Sarah believed God for his favor. She had seen his favor on her husband, on her family, but she didn't believe God for a miracle. She didn't believe that he actually had the power to do something miraculous in her life to fulfill the promise that he had made. Not for her. As many of you know, if you've been around Harvest for very long, my wife Courtney was diagnosed with cancer just a couple months before we launched uh, this church. And uh, when it happened, I remember we just both immediately began praying that God would do a miraculous healing. Just like miraculous, total healing, take it away, cure her, no doctors, no treatments, none of that, just, just cure her cancer. But he didn't. At least not the way that we wanted not the way that we asked for, not the way that we were praying for. She ended up having multiple surgeries. She had months and months of chemo and radiation that she had to walk through. Praise the Lord, she is cancer-free today. Amen. Amen. But he still didn't do it the way we believed that he would. And for some people, when they walk through something like that, that can be something that can shake your faith. That, that can, you, you wrestle with like, how, do, how does this whole faith thing actually work? Because God didn't do what I know he could do. What I believed he would do, he didn't do. And I think when people walk through that, they can start to have these thoughts of, I'm not a part of what God's doing. God didn't heal me, so that means he doesn't hear me when I pray. God didn't save my marriage or change my spouse, so that means he doesn't really care about my life. God didn't supply me with the abundant finances of other people, and, and so he must only want to bless them. He, doesn't, he, he blesses, but he doesn't really want to bless me. He doesn't want to provide for me. God didn't give me the same gift set or the same abilities as so-and-so, and so he wants to use them for big ministry, but he doesn't really want to use me for anything impactful because I don't have what they have. And we wrestle with, is, is God really, are, are his promises really for me? Am I included? But I'm just telling you, none of that is true. We have to understand, when God promises, when God's will works, it works like this. He is the one who chooses when and how to fulfill the promises. We don't get a voice in that. We don't get a vote in that. But just because he doesn't do it when we want or how we want doesn't mean that we're excluded. It doesn't mean that we're left out. Faith isn't just about believing God will fulfill his promise. It's also waiting on him to do so. So much of faith is waiting. Another pastor couple that we're friends with, when we were walking through our cancer stuff, they had been through cancer themselves, and, and they gave us this prayer that they used to pray. And man, we just started praying it on repeat. 
And it went something like this. God, I know you can heal. I believe you will, will heal. But even if you don't, I will worship. I, I believe you can. I believe you will. But even if you don't, I will worship. We're committed to worshiping the Almighty God because we believe that He is the promise keeper even if we don't see it yet. Because God's promises are for all of God's people. They're for you. You're included. You're not exempt. You're not left out. You're not overlooked. You're not forgotten. God sees you and he has a plan for your life. You just have to be patient and press in and trust in his power. So Sarah starts with this immature faith. Then she moves to this impersonal faith. And then finally, she gets to where Hebrews talks about her, an immovable faith. Point number three, immovable faith says that God keeps his promises by his power to conform my heart. To change me, to bring me to the place that he wants me in his promises. Back in Hebrews 11, again, it says that she considered him faithful who had promised. She considered God faithful who had promised to her. And we see this come to life in Genesis chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21, verse 1, says this. The Lord visited Sarah, and he did to Sarah as he had promised. I love that both those statements are back to back, and they both point to the fact that God is the one acting. You catch that? The Lord visited Sarah, and the Lord did as he promised. Sarah's not the one acting anymore. She's not the one coming up with solutions or trying to fix the problem. God's the one acting now. And in verse 2, it says, Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. Again, the emphasis there, in his old age. This was a supernatural act of God. His supernatural power over all of creation, over all of the universe, is making possible what what was not possible before. And they have this son named Isaac, which if you know the story, Isaac's name means son of laughter. Which I think is probably both kind of a jab and a reminder. (laughs) Like, you remember how we got here? Okay, just want to keep that in front of you. See, Sarah says in verse 6 that God has made laughter for me. Sarah has gotten to the place where she's finally experiencing the joy of faith rather than what she thought was the toil of faith. Rather than her doing it and trying to figure it out, she's now resting in the Lord and letting him do what only he can do. And that's bringing laughter and joy to her life. God kept his promise solely on his power. And so her heart is now full of faith in this promise-keeping God. In verse 12, back in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 12, it goes on. It says, therefore, from one man, Abraham, and him as good as dead, just another reminder, just to make sure you didn't miss that part, were born descendants, as many as the stars of the heaven and as many as the innumerable 
grains of sand by the seashore. This is the ultimate fulfillment of Genesis chapter 22, verse 17, where God says exactly those two things. Abraham, you will have more descendants than the stars in the sky and the sand by the seashore. And we see God's fulfillment of this promise, not just in Isaac, not just in Jacob and the tribes, and, but today we see it in all of God's people. Every time another person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, they are added to God's family. They are added to Abraham's family of faith. And the number just continues to grow and grow and grow. God has kept this promise, and he's continuing to keep this promise. And this is the promise that is for all of us. Not every promise in the Bible is for you and me. Some of them were just for certain people. This one is for all of us. All those who have been called by his name. All of us who were sinners, lost and destitute and bound for hell and bound for death because of our sin against a holy God. In his promise-keeping ways, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come to be born as a man, to live a perfect and sinless life, and then to go to the cross and die for our sins. To take our place and to be our substitute so we didn't have to die. He died in our place and he went to the grave and he came back to life three days later to prove that he was God, and to fulfill the promise that millions and millions and millions would come to be part of the family of Abraham, the family of faith, through faith in Jesus Christ. And we can stand on that promise and know that we are part. We are included. We are invited to the table And not because of anything we've done, not because of any solution we offer, not because of any effort that we give, but because God's power has saved us. God perfectly keeps his promises by his power. So we can have immovable faith in him. Deeper faith comes when I believe God's promises depend on God's power. I want you to sit in that for just a moment. I know you're cleaning up and putting pens away. Like just, just pause. Just pause. Are you struggling to believe God is a promise keeper today? Is there some promise that you're waiting for? Is there some will of God in your life that you're hoping for and you're looking for and you're walking towards and it's just not there yet? And you're struggling. Are you waiting on him to show up, feeling that need to, to step in? Like, I, 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 God, it's not happening. I need to do something. I need to add something. I need to bring something to the table because I need to get it there. Or maybe you're way past that and you've just given up on the promises altogether. Like, I I guess that's just not for me. I guess you just don't have that for me anymore. I just want to assure you today, God is sovereign and he will show up at just the right time. God loves you 
and he's still wanting to do something powerful in your life. His promises have not abandoned you. He is powerful and he will accomplish every promise that he has made for his glory and for our good. We just have to consider him faithful who made the promise. Will you stand with me? Heavenly Father, God, we come before you today and we thank you, God, that you are the promise keeper. In this crazy world that's out of control and up and down, and, and so often we feel like we don't even know which way to look. God, we believe that you are here. We believe that you're almighty God. We believe that you are powerful. We believe that you are good and you are faithful, Lord, to keep your promise to every one of your children. So God, help us. Help us to be patient, to wait on you. Help us, Lord, to walk in faith until your power brings your promises to pass in our lives. Lord, you are faithful, and we will praise you. I pray all this powerful name of Jesus Christ.